Hello, listeners. Back after a two-week hiatus, my name is James Tabor. And I'm Kartik Sawney. And welcome to Politics on Draft, episode 10. And my God, have we got a good episode for you today. We're going to get into all of what's happening at the moment, right live as we speak, uh, in a second. But first, let's just bring it down a bit. Kartik, what are you drinking? So, um, if you're following today's events, you should probably know that any history and politics student who earth his salt is probably does not have enough time to look away from Twitter and BBC news. So I, I couldn't go out and buy beer. So I've broken out the Baileys again, uh, hey. as that's was all left uh, in my fridge. What are you drinking today, James? I'm having a, a not to play on the TikTok trend, a Peroni. Oh, right. Oh, God. No, oh, we're not doing that. <laughs> I, I really don't like that TikTok sound. I think it's just overplayed. <laughs> but just so we don't waste any more time. Mm. And I just want to outline that we had a lot more stuff on the briefing paper today. We were going, going to go over the previous two weeks episodes, uh, climate change, uh, proportional representation. We were then also going to go over the Alex Jones case because he's been ordered to give a massive payout almost a billion uh, dollars to the victims of the sandy hook uh, uh incident that happened um but because of everything that's happening we are going to come to that next week this week we have to come onto what on earth is happening in the house of commons <laughs> it, it sounds like that i oh, i remember that uh guy i think it was an itv who just started off by shouting what on earth has happened in the house of commons and it became a big tiktok trend but it is like that at the moment and uh we just we just saw what um uh kartik's uh count local councillor put and it was uh, a fight that happened in the streets of birmingham and he uh he captioned it saying the Conservative Party circa 2022. If anyone's been living under a rock right now, here's what's happened. And that is uh, Swella Braverman has resigned today um, out of a potential breach of the ministerial code. But within her letter indicated that she had major disagreements with the direction of government. Uh, and there's been rumours circulating that Number 10 had been pressuring her to start to liberalise the immigration policy which was something that was put in the 2019 manifesto at the same time we had uh, opposition day in which there was a fracking uh, vote which uh, Kartik can get into being a, is it his his party's day for legislation and, um, <laughs> and the vote which was very controversial because at one point it was decided to be a confidence vote uh, which is what the government ministers were saying and then it wasn't so that's another u-turn as robert Peff. the, the u-turns literally almost 10 minutes before we were about to start recording this but the issue is is that obviously you know conservative mps were worried about their job and then after some of them had voted had now been told, oh, no, you're not going to lose your job. What matter happens? And there was apparently a tussle in uh, in the no corridor. If you know how Westminster works, you actually enter, physically enter a corridor in order to vote. And apparently there was a tussle in the no corridor with Chris Bryant stating literally just 10 minutes ago that there was apparently manhandling from some of the uh, government mm. members, which, uh, in my opinion, is a massive breach on the respectful democracy that we have in this country. Where Just to add to that, just to add to that, some names have come out of people who were manhandling MPs into the no corridor. Uh, just so I don't get sued for libel, British Electoral Politics, Elect Politics UK Twitter account put this out. So Chris Bryant has alleged that among those manhandling MPs was Deputy PM Therese Coffey and oh. Business Secretary Jacob Rees-Mogg. Well, this has just come out. This is, I mean, this is really, really bad for multiple different reasons. I mean, I, I feel like we need to target because we can just start to end up talking about like the, the whole big picture. Um, so I kind of want to, and I know it's going to be hard, Carter, but go back to what feels like a lifetime ago, but was only in fact two hours ago. Sweller bra. Even, no, no, no. We have to go back way before that, James. We have to go back to quasi quoting resigning on Friday. Okay. Um, yeah, and we have to go back to that. We have to go back to what happened on Monday, and we have to go back to what happened mm. 
yesterday we have to it's absolutely mad and the reality is by the time we put this episode out the situation probably would have changed yes yeah, so, so we're you gonna, never know we're gonna try and keep as current as possible as we're currently recording the time is currently seven forty-two on wednesday um if something big happens then we will report it as it is um however if we get a notification that says list trust has resigned as prime minister then we might have to stop recording and do a completely separate story um yeah so we will try our best but please bear with us uh Kartik, shall we go back to friday sure i mean so Kwasi Kwarteng resigned as a result of the mini budget that was coming out. There was massive U-turns about, about raising the, uh, the corporate tax. Initially, Liz Truss said that she wouldn't raise corporate tax to the plan 25% that was in April. Now she's saying that uh, she will. Well, she's not saying that now. She said that on Friday. Um, Jay, uh, I was about to say James Hunt because he's a Formula One driver and a massive F1 fan. But... Um, I've just forgotten his name. That just Jeremy. Gives me... Jeremy, Jeremy Hunt. Hunt. That's the one. Um, Jeremy Hunt uh, was uh, announced as the new chancellor, someone who voted Remain, someone who supported Rishi Sunak, and is now chancellor in Liz Truss's government. Um, so that's the first part that's just absolutely maddening to me, that within 38 days, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer was forced to resign, and we've got a new chancellor... It's almost normal, considering that this happened a couple of days ago. It seems normal to us now, but it's not normal in the context of but entire... What, what I want to say is that um, there's been a bit of misnomers throughout the week. So, for instance, the BBC reported that uh, Jeremy Hunt's uh, appointment to... And I think also The Guardian reported this as well, that Jeremy Hunt's um, appointment were, and then you know bashing of the mini budget was a coup performed by the Rishi Sunak supporters and I just want to say that no it isn't and I think this is where a lot of misconceptions have happened because Liz Truss deliberately picked Jeremy Hunt because she knew that she was losing the grip of the party and she knew that they needed to include some of the uh, you know, one nation side of the party, which, you know, had already lost faith in her. Um, but unity is so important in the Conservative Party. I'm, just I'm going to interrupt thing. you because mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I disagree with you or if I agree with you. But what do you mean by there's some misnomers about coup because there has been a fundamental power shift in the Conservative Party. The way Parliament works, and we'll come on to this later, the way Parliament works is that the leader of the largest party is supposed to command the, uh, command the confidence of Parliament. Now, Liz Truss is no longer able to command the confidence of Parliament. Jeremy Hunt might well be able to command the confidence of Parliament. So there might not be a literal constitutional coup going on, but... Isn't it a fact that Liz Truss is prime minister in name only? Yes, but I wouldn't necessarily put it as a coup in terms of the appointment and the actions that Jeremy Hunt put. The BBC put it as a literal coup where she had brought him in to do the job as chancellor and effectively had trashed everything that she uh, that she set out to achieve in the mini budget. It, you know, she deliberately brought him in to derail the mini budget you know she had to come clean and that's why later on on month i think it was monday she did a, a interview with i think it was the with chris mason actually and she you know she apologized and she felt that jeremy hunt was supposedly going to be the best at uh trying to u-turn on the mini budget as damage limitation based as possible i don't i'm not sure if you can argue that it was successful given just you know everything that's happening at the moment um but yeah i mean kartik just more kind of broadly what do you what do you make of uh jeremy hunt's uh appointment given uh, of course that um you know, everything that happened with him as health secretary. And I just want to also add that it's now been confirmed that Chief Whip Wendy Morton and Deputy Chief Whip Craig Whitaker have resigned. Um, that's another breaking news I want to bring to you now. But going back to the original... There's also, there's also another 
uh, <laughs> a bit of nuance. And I'm not sure if this is true, but according to Hansard's website, I've got Hansard's website up mm. in front of me uh, to cover the vote that just happened in Parliament. So the MPs that didn't vote with the government on fracking include Kwasi Kwarteng. They also include Theresa May, Alok Sharma, Mark Spencer, Chris mm -hmm. Skidmore, which we knew about, Priti Patel, and this is the one I'm not entirely sure about, Liz Truss. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. if, well, didn't vote with the government, doesn't mean she voted against it, but it means that she possibly abstained. So yeah. we don't know what that necessarily means and we can't comment upon the internal dynamics of number 10. It would largely be only speculation. But, and another bit of breaking news, uh, Speaker Lindsay Hoyle has reported that he's going to investigate the reported behaviour in the voting lobbies where MPs were allegedly manhandled into the no lobby and bullied during voting. Good. And he's going to wait for an update from Eleanor Lang. But, right, appointment of Jeremy Hunt, given his uh, record as health secretary, he had a horrible record as health secretary. He was a horrible health secretary. He gutted the NHS. Uh, and uh, and he also, to an extent, told some porkies about what he did as health secretary, saying that mm. he was out there changing bedpans, etc., etc., which isn't entirely true. There has been a freedom of information request from uh, a writer uh, to request, how many bedpans did you actually change, Jeremy Hunt? But I can actually... I can see why the Conservative Party chose Jeremy Hunt. Yes. He's considered to be yeah. a safe pair of hands. He's considered to be uh, sort of not here nor there, even though he voted against uh, Liz Truss uh, in the MPs ballot for the leadership election. And even though he voted Remain, that doesn't really cut any gravy with Liz Truss, considering she also voted Remain. Um, but I can see why they chose him. Um and I can. I also welcome the fact that there has been a U-turn on this mini budget, uh, no matter how much it has cost the economy in the last, you know, two weeks. Um, I, love, I love how we're talking in such short time periods now. Like, yeah, you know, like before, a change in the economy in two weeks would have been considered. Ah, oh, yeah, you know, we can we can change it, but it's now utter chaos, isn't it? It's Sorry, complete chaos. It's complete complete chaos. Um, one thing that really pissed me off. Uh, happened on Monday. So uh, on Monday, uh, Keir Starmer was granted an urgent question uh, to question the Prime Minister on whether um, this... Basically around the pretext of why Kwasi Kwarteng was sacked after 38 days. Um, and the question was granted by uh, the Speaker. Come about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, uh, everyone sitting in Parliament, and Liz Truss does not turn up. She do She just doesn't turn up. Um, and Penny Morden is there to answer questions for her. Now, to be to be to be fair to Penny Morden, uh, possibly our future prime minister, um, she did a decent job of answering the questions. Overall. Oh, really? Do you? Really I think she did. That? No, I, I mean, I mean, how much better could she have done considering what's going on behind her? I'm sorry. If it was me, if it I was just... me, I would have resigned. I'm saying I'm not going out going out there batting for I'm you, mate. I'm sorry, but she <laughs> just went in total, total like robot i support the party anti-labor you know this isn't a time to be playing that's exactly what she needs to do if she wants to be leader of the conservative party yes that's but, exactly right. what she needs to do so for the benefit of penny morden she did quite well for the benefit of the electorate of course the overall conservative party is just terrible and penny morden is the hallmark of that with her 15 minutes of fame that she got to be as prime minister Anyway, going back to the thing that really pissed me off, and you can we, we can come back to uh, where you disagree with me, James. Um, she didn't turn up for approximately 58 minutes. She then turned up to hear Jeremy Hunt's speech uh, on the budget, which was then questioned very, very well by Rachel Reeves and was met with chance of more, more, more by the Labour benches. Um, but in the entirety of the two and a half hours... That Parliament was sitting and she had the opportunity to make a speech about the resignation of the second most powerful man in 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 the government. She decided not to utter a single word. And I think that is just an example of Liz Truss and 2020 Conservative Party and 2020 British politics. We've got the prime minister, the leader of our nation, not willing to address um, the country.
at times of national crisis. But then after that, she also, and by the way, as a, if, if I was a conservative advisor, I would say, why the fuck did you even bother, bother turning up? If, mm. if you weren't going to say a word, why did you even bother turning up? But anyway, then she has a press conference. I, I'm not sure. See, now I'm getting uh, jumbled up. She, did she have the press conference on Friday or, or on Monday, James? Uh, no, the press conference was on Friday. I've... Okay, we'll come back to that. The, the uh, interview with Chris Mason from mm. the BBC... That was just a complete shambles. That was a shit show from her. She just reiterated the same lines and she actually claimed that she'd be leading the Conservatives into the next general election, which I think is highly doubtful considering today's events. Mm. Um, going back to Friday, that was also shit considering she was there for, what, eight minutes? And then she answered four questions, said, um, 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 a couple times and then pissed off. Yeah, she. I think that the, the rhetoric was she looked like a like a drunk seventeen year old in a kebab shop. Um, not that seventeen year old should be drinking. We don't condone underage drinking. Um, so, I oh, it's, it was so odd. It was so. That's only till Monday. Wait till you hear what happened today. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole thing has just been you know a total shit show in terms of you know Liz Truss doing her job and I suppose you can argue what the job of a prime minister is and I think you know there are some and I do think you know some valid cases in academia that might tell you well hold on a second technically you know the people wouldn't have wanted to hear from Liz Truss on um uh, yesterday they would have wanted to hear from or was it mon no monday they wouldn't have wanted to hear from her they want to hear from the chancellor about the the budget and the measures that are going to be put in place and stuff like that and I, I to an extent i do understand that but still you know even if it was her like introducing her new chancellor to to parliament or something like that or you know her explaining her absence because apparently according to penny morden she wanted to be at that uq urgent question but couldn't due to, to different reasons. Uh, well, it's, it's now been confirmed that she was meeting Graham Brady, but there were actual worries that she was going to, uh, going to Buckingham Palace to Graham, request a general Graham election. Brady, Graham Brady being, for those who don't know, the leader of the 1922 committee and ultimately responsible for the, um, for the voice of the backbench community in the Conservative Party. Yeah, basically, yes. Um, that, but I think we should, if we haven't missed anything, James, um, we should come back to, oh, sorry. I've just received another tweet from Ian Murray MP. Uh, he says, I've never seen scenes like it at the entrance to a voting lobby. Tories on open warfare, jostling and Jacob Rees-Mogg shouting at his colleagues. They are done and should call a general election. Two Tory whips dragging people. Just watched the Deputy Prime Minister practically pick up a hesitant Tory MP and march him into the government lobby. Astonishing. That was from David Linden. That's Therese Coffey, by the way, Deputy Prime Minister and Health Secretary and also good friend. I also, of Liz Truss, I also want to say that it is quite interesting because Liz Truss in, you know, we're talking in a matter of weeks ago before uh, the unfortunate death of uh, Queen Elizabeth. Um, uh, she picked her top four friends, colleagues, supporters and backers in the in the leadership of the debate being Quasi Quarting, um, Therese Coffey and Swella Bravelin on their confidence in her during the leadership debate. And within six weeks, even less than that, I think, I, I don't know the actual um, uh, numbers, um, two of them have gone. So currently in the the, the big four jobs, only two of them. There is a 50-50 split of support and originally dissent. Um, and you can't run a government like that. You need support. As much as I, you know, detested the the front four, it, it was a much better chance of governing effectively than it would have been with the current situation. So my, my, mm. my question is, is how, how long does, does Truss and Coffee have left? I think it comes back down to the fact that the government has lost complete sight of how to manage its backbenches. 
it has no idea how to do it. And earlier in the week, we were having parliamentary studies, James, and you you had your own seminar. Um, and our parliamentary uh, uh, studies module convener and seminar tutor, Dan Gover, said the government should not come to the point of threatening of taking the whip away. But that's what it did today. And then you turned on that as well. But the government has lost complete sight of how to control its backbenchers. The backbenchers are the ones that run the government now. They are the ones that run the Conservative Party. And if you didn't... It's, if, it's not even Je uh, Jeremy Hunt anymore. It's it's not even Liz Truss anymore. It's not Therese Coffey. It's definitely not Suella Braverman, considering yeah. she just resigned. And just to give you, um, give you a flavour of what some of these MPs are saying, because obviously what, you know, what we hear about backbench MPs and what we what actually is is often quite diff uh, you know different based on you know the ideas of rumors and echo chambers but some of the confirmed things that we've heard is things from you know conservative backbenchers saying I don't want to be an MP anymore saying that they don't want to even stand if there was another election saying they just mm -hmm. want to you know I, there's even been stuff like fuck this shit let's get out you know it, yeah it's 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 utter carnage to the point where you know I, if i was a i don't know like a loyal tory member for the last 50 years i'd be thinking to myself what is happening to my party because I, i'm still i'm still a firm believer that you know there are probably you know slightly more moderate and one might argue decent members of the Tory party who are probably thinking what has happened to the party that I love and adore and I, mm. I have the utmost of sympathy for them whether I, or not I, I really don't I really don't love and adore them and I don't have any sympathy for them either they can go fuck themselves as far as I'm concerned well <laughs> I think I yeah I I disagree with that premise but we'll we'll carry on for the sake of uh for the sake of just keep well, we're supposed to be starting an argument here but <laughs> um, i want to before we go and discuss the events of today i want to basically cover up what happened today so so far today the home secretary has resigned a senior number 10 advisor has been suspended as a result of um some colorful language one which we've used on the podcast before um uh, accusing Sajid Javid of being shit uh, when he was being considered for Chancellor. The Prime Minister has double U-turned on pensions, something which for a second I'd completely forgotten about, and the government has called a vote of confidence in itself to coerce its MPs to vote against their own manifesto. Now it's U-turned on that as well. So, okay, quickly on pensions, okay? So the triple lock on pensions is the idea that pensions need to either rise by 2.5% in line with earnings or in line with inflation. The government was thinking of U-turning on that. As of 3 a.m. last night, as James knows, I love working late into the night, and that's what I was writing in the briefing. They were potentially going to get rid of that. It was a 2019 manifesto pledge. It was brought in by in, the, in 2010 by the Cameron Osborne uh, government. Um, and now they've U-turned uh, on u-turning on it um so they've gone right back they've, they're going in the direction that initially the 2019 manifesto was going uh, going towards and initially uh the briefings that were coming out of number 10 was that we don't know or we're not sure that's what james cleverly and jeremy hunt were saying on the airwaves this morning then the prime minister came into the chamber and said no we are keeping the triple locked pensions i mean that's one major thing that happened this morning. And another one is that initially the government had called a vote of confidence in itself, effectively saying that if you vote against us on this opposition day fracking uh, transfer of executive powers to the opposition bill, if you like, um, then you will have the whip removed from you. Ten minutes before we started recording the podcast, that was you, Ted. It's been a crazy day in British politics. And... I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I thought I'd say that uh, about Brexit. I thought I'd say that about COVID. I thought I'd say that about the prorogation of Parliament. But, I mean, this is just on a different scale of crazy. What mm. do you think? Um, yeah, well, I just, I just, I quickly on, uh, on some of the response from tonight's, uh, uh, issues and going back to the whole idea of you know backbench MPs having their say. Uh, Charles Walker, one of uh, one of the most famous uh, uh, 
gov- uh, backbench rebels has led many rebellion against uh, multiple governments in the last 10 years has uh, come out and spoke in wake of the vote that happened today and uh, some of his comments are are well pretty harrowing uh, one of the things that he uh, that he said was, I've had enough of talentless people putting their tick in the right box, not because it's in the national interest, but because it's in their own personal interest to achieve a ministerial position. And he carries on by saying, um, saying I hope words, it was worth it for the ministerial yes, red box. I hope it was worth it for the ministerial uh, red box. Charles Walker, who I think was uh, an absolutely brilliant force in the... Uh, especially some of uh, the um, COVID uh, measurements and being pretty pivotal in trying to get the uh, government to show a bit of compassion to the British people. Uh, just just to add a bit of humour mm. to the discussion, uh, John Crace, who's the uh, sketch, art- sketch artist for The Guardian, mm. uh, has just tweeted, this is what happens if you let Therese Coffee dole out large quantities of prescription drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's like um, it. But if you want to add some context onto that, James, feel free. Yes, to, I, w- I, I will. Uh, Therese Coffey, um, I, th- I think it was at the end of last week or might be early this week. It's all blurred into one for me. Uh, basically said uh, that she has handed uh, uh, antibiotics to her friends and uh, as health secretary, has also stated that she might be pushing towards over-the-counter antibiotics. Now, I'm not a biology expert, but what I do know is that if you take antibiotics more than you need to, then it actually lowers your immune system and makes future use of antibiotics redundant, which would effectively expose you to disease and viruses. I mean, I just also want to put it out. We've just come out of a... A, uh, a a disease and health-based emergency in COVID nineteen, and we've got our current health secretary basically pushing a policy that would see the UK and deputy prime minister and deputy prime minister be exposed to, you know, an awful amount of disease as a result of this, you know, potential policy which is. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, so, as James covered earlier, um, the chief whip and the deputy chief whip had resigned. Um, a Conservative MP has just told a journalist that the PM was so busy dealing with the chief whip's resignation that she missed the vote. So effectively, she abstained uh, on a no confidence vote on herself. Oh, sorry, it's not a no confidence vote on herself. She U-turned on that as well. Um, <laughs> it's just madness. It's so hard to keep up with. And if if you don't like... British politics, or if you don't like politics overall, and this is what you're seeing, I do not blame you for never wanting to mm. vote again. Mm. I, I, I really don't. I completely agree with you. And this is, you know, it's one of the problems that we as a podcast are trying to solve. And it, it does feel as if every single day the government is making it harder and harder for us to actually do our job or, or our, you know, our uh i guess our responsibility that we've given ourselves um yeah it's 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 I, again like you say i i do agree that a lot of people will be disincentivized to vote because they're just seeing all this chaos and you know how on earth could people trust politicians again or it might go in the favor that uh, i'm sure you'll be very much looking forward to which is the only people you can trust is a Labour government, I guess. And, and that's, I, a, that's a new... I, I, do, I do look forward to that, but I want to add something to that. Initially, I, I, I was thinking on that path when the leadership election happened. I was like, oh, you know, if Liz Truss wins, it won't be all that bad for us because we'll, we'll come into power eventually. And that's mm. true. That, that prediction has come out true. But the amount of damage it's going to cause to the country and, and the number of people... I just feel really, really bad for people that have state pensions today because... In the morning, someone was saying, we're going to cut your pensions or we don't know what you're going to do with your pensions. And it was just back and forth. And it was just filled with anxiety for people like that. And that is going to be that's going to be mirrored across to people who have mortgages uh, or who are supposed to get mortgages soon. They're going to get ridiculously high interest rates who might even with people who have mortgages and are unable to um, afford them might even have to sell their houses for it. So mm. it's just, 
it's, it's. I feel so bad for the general electorate. I mean, I think it's it's hard, and it's hard to look at it from that perspective when you are so involved in British politics. Indeed, but it's it's also important to realise what politics is all for, and it's largely for people who we never see or we never hear from. Indeed, and um, we're also getting uh, reports from Dan Hodges of the um, Mail on Sunday saying that he's receiving texts from MPs saying it's ending now. So there really is discontent. Uh, you know, I've also saw another, uh, seen other things uh, from MPs, Conservative MPs saying, you know, it's a fucking shit show. And... Um, yeah it's 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 really bad um i also want to uh uh give a little bit of kudos to nigella lawson as well she's been <laughs> involved in this uh for those who don't understand what i'm uh alluding to um on i think it was, was it yesterday um swella braverman gave a, a big you know uh speech about how um, with all that's happening on with Just Stop Oil, which is something we were going to talk about, but we can't really do it now. Um, uh, she said that, you know, she kind of went on the anti-growth coalition uh, rhetoric speech again, and uh, she basically called the anti-growth coalition tofu-eating uh, people, which I assume is a dig at this kind of like woke, woke culture and veganism that exists. And uh, Nigella, who not a vegan, uh, but a, a lovable cook amongst many a middle-aged man, uh, decided to tweet out a recipe for a uh, tofu recipe, which I thought was uh, uh, quite hilarious. Um, what, something I do want to say, and I guess just because... I, I do want to add something to that before... Yeah. Um... I came here to eat tofu and fight the Tories and I've just finished my tofu. Oh. <laughs> um, so, that's, that's not mine, by the way. I saw that yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> um, something I actually want to ask you, because one person who has been quite quiet in light of today's uh, parliamentary chaos is uh, Keir Starmer. And um, has, I just, because because the Conservatives yeah. are doing his job for him. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but I guess I guess my question is, and as as a member of the Labour Party, you know, I'm I'm sure you're you're sort of looking up the Labour uh, ladder at the moment. Um, what do you think Keir Starmer's thinking of right now? I think Keir Starmer's thinking of um, whether he'll throw out the wallpaper that Boris Johnson put in. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that's what he's thinking about. Uh, but really, speaking in serious terms, um, we had this conversation throughout the week about, you know, would a snap election be good for the Labour Party? Yes. And I, 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 I've now come to agree with you that it probably wouldn't because we need some time to figure out policy. And, you know, Labour shadow cabinet members would tell you that, look, you know, we're not going to have spending cuts uh, with Labour. And, you know, we're going to do it with the windfall tax or we're going to plug the hole with the non-DOM stuff. Um, but that's not necessarily true. The fiscal hole that this government has created is massive. There probably will be some austerity with the Labour Party. And we need to we need to work out, we as the Labour Party need to work out what our economic policy and our approach is entirely going to be. Because if it's similar to this, and if this is just a political context, then we we need we need to we need to work out something better. And I think we've come up with some great policies, but we can't just stop at Great British Energy. We can't just stop at PR. We can't just stop at you know renationalising re the railways. I think we need to come up with some solid policies that we can communicate to the British public. And I think we need time for that. Will we get that time? Probably not. But I I also see it as. You know, I think the country needs a Labour government. I think it needs a change of government. I think the Conservative Party needs to be in opposition for a bit to figure out what the hell it wants to do with itself, uh, if there is going to be a Conservative Party after tonight. Um, but I think it's, yeah, great for Labour, bad for the country initially. Um, and it could even be bad for Labour for the first couple of years in office. I don't think they'll be very popular if they come into office in the next six months. Um but yeah, yeah. And also, I don't think we've covered who Suella Braverman's replacement is. No, Grant Shapps. No, um, Grant Shapps, of course, uh, was a. I think he did actually. Or um, better known as Michael Green. Uh, if anyone who doesn't know who that is, uh, Michael Green was the alias that Grant Shapps used to run a get rich scheme 
get-rich-quick scheme whilst he was an MP. Oh, uh, he's, now, he's now he's now a Home Secretary in charge of law and order in, uh, in our nation. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, and that adds an interesting dynamic to his appointment. <laughs> um, I was going to give a bit of uh, context. He, uh, he did actually uh, stand for leadership in uh, uh, this year. I was about to say mm-hmm. in another year, but it was this year. Um, and although I think he, I don't even think he made it past that. I don't even think he got the amount of uh, MP support necessary to even make it through the first stage. But um, he then quickly went on to support uh, Rishi Sunak, as I think uh, most MPs and Tory party members are wishing they had done. Uh, um, and so he is he he's very famous for because he was the transport secretary under boris johnson and uh i think jess phillips tweeted out something saying if you think he's going to be a good uh good uh home secretary just you know think about the people on the train right now or something along the lines i can't quite remember what the tweet said is think about think about the people that were um on trains and planes whilst he was transport secretary i remember that yeah even though yeah, it was yeah, earlier yeah. today it's hard to but yeah and so he was transport secretary during a time where there was lots of uh lots of um uh strikes and yeah, ongoing as well but obviously he's one of the most pivotal characters in that he was very famous for uh spreadsheeting do you want to talk about that uh spreadsheet uh so scenario. spreadsheeting is something that i actually do uh during <laughs> elections uh so i you, you know i'm a very organized person james mm. you've seen all the to-do lists absolutely um, um so spreadsheeting is effectively what he used to do and he used to go up to and he still probably does he goes up to mps uh, and sort of asks vague questions to see where they sit on leaders and policy issues to get an idea of where the Conservative Party is heading or his party is heading. Uh, and I, you and never I, know, he might have crossed the floor by this point. And I, I'm, I'm, aware, I'm, a, this I'm aware that he also lies to some MPs to try and provoke a response. So, like, he will lie and say, oh, I don't think this Liz Truss is doing what this hypothetical, by the way. Oh, yeah, no, of course. He'll say he'll say very, very provocative things to get out, get stuff out of... Uh, other MPs in order to understand where they sit, whether they sit with him, whether they oppose him. Uh, and then he'll spreadsheet all of that uh, to sort of work out where the party's going and where he needs to sit. Now, he probably would have spreadsheeted this and realised that the party is probably not going with Liz Trust. So why he is now Home Secretary is completely lost on me because there was, uh, he was Apparently, uh, an, a journalist was speaking to an MP and he said, I'm really surprised he took the job. I can send you some texts he sent to me about Liz Truss over the weekend. And it's completely shocking. So, I mean, that's another suggestion, James. And I want to come back to the thing that we disagree on, that there probably has been a de facto coup in number 10 and number 11 um, between, you know, Liz Truss and Jeremy Hunt. So he probably, Grant Shapps, a very, very intelligent individual, um, is probably aware that Liz Truss is no longer running number 10 and is no longer uh, or is only a prime minister in name. So he's fine working for a Jeremy Hunt government. Yes, but then I think that the question, and I, I'm trying my hardest not to get wrapped up in the kind of the, the, the headlines and stuff is, you know, there is a bit, there is a big sort of, conception amongst you know academics and commentators that sometimes bringing in your biggest enemies is sometimes of you know a brilliant idea uh, from an executive point of view to try and create balance to try and seem as if you're very you know, I, I, I don't know if this is bringing in your enemies or I, d- I don't know if this is bringing in your enemies from the Liz Truss perspective or I don't know if it's bringing in your friends from the Jeremy Hunt perspective the fact of the matter is Liz Truss no longer has the confidence of her own party. Therefore, she is completely paralysed in terms of what she can do in Parliament. That's that's a fact. Mm, yeah. And Jeremy Hunt could probably, or well, maybe, I, I don't even know that's how dynamic British politics is in the last two weeks. He could probably have a grip of the party and the way the backbenchers are going to vote with yes it. So and this it w- is the intra-party mode that dan gover said uh, for me to include into uh, the podcast and, this it, week. and, it, and um, it was quite interesting that grant shaps uh when 
talking about his appointment didn't actually mention Liz Truss at all, um, given that she was the one who appointed him, gave him the promotion. You know, it's the biggest job he's had so far in uh, in British politics. And um, yeah, it's just it's it's quite interesting that the only person that he mentioned was the Chancellor and saying how um, he's had good conversations with the 1922 committee that, by the way, before, you know, the headlines start running away with the idea that, you know, we had a really, really good 1922 committee, apparently the turnout was absolutely abysmal. Granted, it was at the same time as, uh, you know, the debate for fracking was going on. And uh, mm. so th there would have been some priorities from some MPs as to whether to attend 1922 or attend the debate. Um, oh, it's been a chaotic day, hasn't it? <laughs> it's Listen, been a really three day. more things to cover before we end the podcast mm. for today. We have to cover um, Suella Braverman's resignation letter. Uh, it's, we have to cover the fracking uh, debate that happened in Parliament. And we also have to cover PMQs. So why don't we go to a break and then we'll come back and we'll discuss those three things. <laughs> And welcome back to Politics on Draft. Uh, as you know, I'm Kartik Sawney, and I'm going to be reading out an extract from Suella Braverman's resignation letter. Now, Suella Braverman is very much on the right wing of the party. This is the individual that dreamed of flights to Rwanda. I'll, re I'll repeat that. Dreamed of flights deporting refugees, refugees and immigrants to Rwanda. And, and now, this is what she has to say about... Go on. What you, what uh, I was going to say, and now the only flight that she's going to be getting is back home to wherever her constituency is because she's no longer a minister and is just a backbencher. Sorry, I'm satirising. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so, as Home Secretary, I held myself to the highest standards and my resignation is the right thing to do. The business of government relies upon people accepting responsibility for their mistakes. Pretending we haven't made mistakes, carrying on as if everyone can't see that we have made them, and hoping that things will ma magically come right is not serious politics. I have made a mistake. I res accept responsibility. I resign. It is obvious to everyone that we are going through a tumultuous time. I have concerns about the direction of this government. Not only have we broken key pledges that were promised to our voters, but I have had serious concerns about the government's commitment to honouring manifesto commitments such as reducing overall migration numbers and stopping illegal migration, particularly the dangerous small boats crossings. Now, obviously, there's a lot of her own politics there. But this is a person who is who almost has no moral compass, if you like. There's no way that she thought, oh, I sent an email from my personal phone with confidential, confidential information and I have to resign because I feel like I've done something wrong. No, she was clearly forced to resign. Because the individual that she sent it to then reported it to the 1922 committee. But this is an individual that thinks that this government has lost direction. A person with almost no moral compass thinks that this government has lost direction. James, what do you think about that? Yeah, and, you know, for whatever, whatever the reason, whether it's a break of the ministerial code, a disagreement on policy, you know... Ultimately, the job of Home Secretary is very, very big. And I think it's been also understated because Priti Patel was in it for a long time. And there, there was some, uh, there was the scandal of uh, her and I think it was Philip Ruttman, although I might not. Philip Ruttman, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the, uh, the um, uh, permanent secretary for the Home Office and all that scandal of bullying and whatever, but she she was a fairly sturdy force in uh, in government for the entirety of Boris Johnson's uh, campaign, and um, I think that kind of under or rather created a misconception that you know the, the job of Home Secretary is not massively big, but it is massive. It's it's one of the big four jobs, and absolutely she she Swella Bravo was the obvious replacement for um for Pretty Patel you know that similar kind of ERG sentiment uh, that's the uh, European research group on the right side of the uh, Tory party and uh yeah you know she's 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 gone and I think you know we can we can argue and we can debate the nature of her leaving but I think that, 
the, the simple fact that she has gone and the way she's decided to go, I think that the, the, the part of the the letter that's, that is really sort of stark in my opinion is how she said, I accept responsibility and apologize for my actions, which I think is a big dig at Liz in terms of the facts that, and I think she later went on in the, in the uh, letter to say, I made a mistake, I apologized, I resigned. And if that's not uh, big enough, you know, um, and, that, and that she's just not, and she's not just dreaming. She's not dreaming that the the public agrees with her. She's she's yeah. aware. Yeah, of what she's done. Is she aware? If she's not aware, we don't know. I don't really have a lot of care for how she thinks mm. anymore, but considering she's not relevant. But I think she was a morally repugnant individual. Um, the way she left. Um, is also interesting. Again, this is a developing story. It might change by the time we put this out. But the fact of the matter is, she was dealing with sensitive information, market-relative information, it has been uh, broadcast on Sky News and BBC News, that she had sent on her personal phone. Now, this is the Home Secretary. This is the woman that is in charge of security in our nation. And she's doing this. Mm. I mean, come on. Um but I also want to go on to PMQs, uh, James. It's it's hard to it's easy to forget that PMQs happened today, considering <laughs> everything else that has happened today. Did you watch PMQs in the end? Uh, I didn't because it always coincides with a um, with a seminar of mine, and then obviously you know what was going on today was just uh, you know kind of take took greater precedent. Uh, the, the vibe I got from just people who told me and also stuff I saw on Twitter and on the news is that she did as well as she could and that i don't think you know m there was major turns of heads in um in pmqs uh so to speak but you watched it um you know what was it what's your perspective on it right so she uh liz trust the prime minister for now um said a number of things largely incoherent but the thing that she kept on reiterating was um we work for people who are striving, not striking, and kept on reiterating militant unions, militant unions. Now, and she, she also said that she's working for the most vulnerable people. Well, now the most vulnerable people, the working people, are a part of these quote-unquote militant unions. Mm. Now, these militant unions also have more of a mandate to go on strike than she has a mandate to govern. It's incredibly hard to vote to go on strike. There is a massive uh, uh, procedure of ballots. You have to achieve over 50% of the ballots, and it's so, so tough. I was uh, I was helping uh, the UCU uh, where, with its actions uh, last year. But the fact that she keep, keep, keeps on reiterating militant unions and saying that Labour is supporting them, which, to be honest, they haven't. They, they they haven't been supporting them largely, considering there was a ban on uh, on shadow cabinet ministers of going on the picket line. They haven't been actively supporting them in, in the traditional way that the Labour Party does in order to seem more like a business-like Labour Party, one that is accessible to the majority of the British public. She kept on reiterating that, trying to associate the Labour Party with these militant unions. And I just want to say that she has no idea what she's talking about. We know that, but specifically on the militant union stuff, she has no fucking clue starmer i thought did okay it wasn't his best performance but it was quite good i think we've also been treated to quite good performances from starmer recently i think it was classic starmer lawyer type actions but he also landed some quite jokey uh, shots on her if you like um he was uh, he was talking about you know out by Christmas, is that when it's actually out or is that the title of the book? Uh, he also made a joke about when Liz Truss kept on directing questions towards him. Um, uh, he stated that he, they were the government in waiting and they were the opposition in waiting. Maybe that's why she was asking questions of him. So overall, I thought it was classic PMQs. It was a bit more raucous than it usually is. The Conservative benches were largely quite quiet, um, but the Labour benches were quite loud and rowdy. Uh, and I think it would have been interesting to see if the Labour benches were more calm and less rowdy, uh, what the murmurs in the back of the Conservative benches would have been. Um, I think there was something, 
there was a line that she used, which was, oh, I'm a, uh, I'm a fighter, not a quitter. And a conservative bench, uh, backbench MP leaned over to another con- uh, conservative backbench MP and said, she's useless. Yeah, uh, which would have been interesting to hear. I just, uh, I just that's want, what I thought about PMQs. I just want to add a minute ago, Beth Rigby has tweeted out. Uh, she's a, a political correspondent for and political editor presenter for Sky News. Said she asked a minister, "Is this the end of days?" To which she got a response saying, "I think so. It feels like that to me. This is utter madness." And then she questioned, "What next?" And I can't tell if this is her continuing on with a question or whether it's an answer. But it then goes on to say, "Only way out of this is a coalition deal between Morden and Sunak. It's only a matter of time before she's forced out. This is not." sustainable i think that's actually an answer that she got from an unnamed minister um just something i wanted to uh to add on there i think pmqs is an interesting one because i think you know one it's been overshadowed by the uh, later events uh, of today um P- pmqs was supposed to be contentious because it was supposed to include sajid javid who was apparently going to uh absolutely tear uh the government to shreds over the uh, allegations against the um communications spad um but then due to the sucking of that or suspending of that uh, spad he uh he w- withdrew his um his uh, uh question and i think i guess that just shows you um it shows you how uh, how prevalent the backbench MPs are at the moment, and mm. uh, and how they have the ability to completely, um, you know, because you also the other thing is that you've got a lot of senior people in that backbench, and people who Liz Truss has deliberately avoided and made sure that um, they are not in the cabinet, and I think. You know, there's. I think there's nothing wrong with having a supportive executive, but when you've got senior people in the back bench who've got a very big voice in the party, you're slowly mm. starting to lose that support from not just your executive but also the back benches which you do rely on. Yeah, and now we're going to come on to the fracking stuff. Um, so today was op- why don't you cover actually James you know opposition day uh, days quite well why don't you cover what an opposition day is well an opposition day how, how often does it happen I, I, I believe it's 20 days yeah once every 20 days it's, a, it's no a no day. no not once every 20 oh. days I think it's 20 days every year oh right I see what you mean and they yeah. just disperse it whatever yeah um, it is a day for the um, opposition to put forward legislation and motions and uh, and do and create votes and um, one of their votes they wanted to do in the wake of uh, stuff from Liz Truss and from uh, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy uh, headed up by the ancient and Victorian Jacob Rees-Mogg was that they want to potentially bring back fracking as a way to try and increase the UK's energy security. Fracking, of course, something which was banned, was it 2015? I no, 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 it was banned very recently. It was banned in 2019. And we covered the concept of what fracking is. Um, yes, in the yes, list. yes. Oh, of course, of course. So uh, it's not, it's not yeah. news to the listeners. Um, but of course, something that has uh, been very uh, dangerous and Labour's vote was um, was a vote to uh, to was it to like reaffirm the ban um, no on it? so it's quite interesting it's arguably the most intelligent use of a parliamentary opposition day or a parliamentary procedure for scrutiny I've seen in a very, very long time, um, or in my observation of British political history. So, effectively, I'm, I'm going to read out mm. elements of the order paper. Um, so, on the opposition day, he stated that this house calls on the government to introduce a ban on hydraulic fracking for shale gas and makes provision as set out in this order. Now, what this vote was effectively about of whether we can shift the executive powers of government to 
conduct the business of the House of Commons to the opposition. And that's what the vote actually was. It wasn't a, It wasn't to reintroduce the ban on fracking or it wasn't to codify it into uh, common law. It was quite literally standing order number 14, provision one, which provides that government's business, uh, government business shall have precedence at every sitting, save as provided in that order, shall not, shall not apply. Any proceedings governed by this order may be processed within until any hour, though opposed, and shall not be interrupted. It's a little bit of finickety uh, parliamentary procedure stuff, but effectively, this vote was to shift the powers of the executive, which is to conduct business in the House of Commons and to decide what business is conducted in the House of Commons, to the opposition. And that's massive. It's the most intelligent use of opposition days because, I've ever seen. Because what it did, in effect, was, and I'm not saying that I'm blaming Labour here for, for any of it, but it created the chaos that effectively the Labour Party needed to derail to de to de to derail the 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 Tory party and uh, well, well I mean it definitely it definitely worked um, it, it led to the government having to make it into a confidence vote which we then uh, then uncovered that it then wasn't and that's what a lot of the confusion um, mm. is about so yeah yeah very very clever as you say mm. even, even though even though Labour lost I think it was three hundred and twenty six uh knows uh to i think 230 something uh eyes even though labor lost i think it was the best form of scrutiny i've seen in a very very long time yeah absolutely and certain individuals ed miller and chris bryant were absolutely brilliant throughout uh that vote and also uh the debate uh caroline lucas has been very vocal on this given that she is the green party um uh, MP, and also I do think that going forward, um, I think that Caroline Lucas is going to be very pivotal in potentially holding a future Labour government to account in making sure that they commit to their uh, green policy, which uh, I think could be re really, really good for the future success of the Labour Party. Um, Kartik, we're coming to the end of our uh, time this podcast it's a bit a bit of a long one um and i think mm. we both need we both need a good rest after this but uh if if um, uh, i think I, I just want to say one last thing yeah and this is obviously from a labor party perspective and you know i love my party and all of that but what i want to say is amongst all this chaos where mps were being shoved into one voting lobby and the other kiss i don't know if you watched um the proceedings in parliament today James, mm. but keir starmer after voting was just sitting on the front bench, calmly updating uh, his shadow cabinet colleagues. I know, I know what, what was happening. Say, I've seen this. He was, he was giving instructions to front benches, and he was reading briefing notes. And yeah, I mean that 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 tells you what kind of leader the country needs. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. You, you've, you've turned into a Twitter echo chamber right now, and I feel, <laughs> I feel, I feel that might be where this uh, this uh, podcast is going down, given the uh, volatility of UK politics at the moment. Um, well, obviously, if you want, if you have any opposition, I want you to start a debate with me. But I think I'm just too right for you. That's what it is. Like too right wing? No, I'm not going to go there. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, no uh, and I think my, my final thing I want to say on, on this is um, it is hard when, as a member of the public, when you're seeing the supposed representatives that, you know, that we as a country elected, I mean, dependent, regardless of how you voted, um, it's, it's difficult when you see these representatives go into chaos. And I want to say that, it doesn't have to be like this, you know, at some point in the future, I don't know how um, quick that this is going to be. You have the chance to voice your opinion and change what you don't like. And I'm not trying to ideologically drive people into voting one way or another, but just know that your voice does matter and we will get over this. Um, so please don't be disinterested with politics because right now more than ever and without sounding like a massive populist we need the constitutional power of the people to create the parliament that we want to see and i do believe that we will get there but we just need to get over this rough hurdle
spoken like yeah. a few personally, <laughs> personally, I'm I'm still waiting for Sue Gray's report to make up my mind which way I'm going to vote. Yeah, God, Sue bloody Gray. Um, also, and just my final uh, update that just came through to the BBC: forty Tory MPs abstained from the fucking frack, the fucking the fucking the fracking. The the, the the fracking <laughs> votes that's how tired i am so now from this point onwards it's currently 2041 which is weird because i actually think last time i gave the time was 741 so bang on the hour um anything that happens now is beyond our control <laughs> so, i think anything that happened now was never in our control yeah, <laughs> but, um, but we cannot be liable for any more decisions that have happened so i think that's all uh, for me to say is thank you very much for tuning in to this uh, very weird day in uh, in politics and uh, yeah we hope to see you soon my name's James Tabor and my name's Kartik Sawney and we'll see you next week on Politics on Drafts see you later bye bye